Welcome to the Claudio Rosano Show on ClaudioRosano.com, brought to you by Roscoe Hearing and Allergy Care Center. Claudio will be speaking to sports legends from the 70s, 80s, and 90s about their careers, business, and what they're doing now. He will also hold roundtable discussions with some old friends about trending topics in the world of sports. And now, here's Claudio. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to the Claudio Relsano Show, brought to you by Roscoe Hearing and Allergy Care Center. As always, I want to thank Rick Mitchell for the introductions and my fantastic producer, Adam Zalouf, who I could not do the show without Adam for sure. Uh, today's guest was the number one draft pick of the San Francisco Gi- Giants. He had a 10-year career in the major leagues from 1973 to 1982. He pitched for the Giants, the San Diego Padres, St. Louis Cardinals, Montreal Expos, California Angels, and the Oakland A's. He was the National League Rookie Pitcher of the Year in, in, in uh, 1974. He, was also very, he is also a very well-respected and accomplished artist and writer. Uh, so welcome to today's guest, John D'Aquisto. John, thank you so much for tuning into the show or being on oh, the show. You're very, <laughs> you're very welcome, Claudia. It's uh, good I, to be on the show. Like you, I'm Italian. I talk a little too fast sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't we all, right? You know what? I have to and see how many hands. And with That's, our hands, but you can't see that part. <laughs> we can't see that. I have to see how many Italians I have had on the show. I think you're like the seventeenth, so that that's okay. That's a good oh, that's thing. Good. That's a good thing. Well, that's, we, that's a coincidence. I, I was the seventeenth overall pick, so there I, you go. I know that. I know that. So we've had <laughs> we've had we've had uh, Vinny Pazienza, Mario Andretti. Um, yep. I'm trying to think uh, who else we've had on. I know we've had a bunch of other ones on. Uh, well, whatever it is, it's it's. Uh, I'm drawing a blank here, but uh, we've had a bunch of good ones. So well, let's start off, John. I, I like to start off asking questions about uh, when guys are about 15 years old. What were your dreams and goals, and what was your life like at that age? Well, at, at 15, I was uh, probably a sophomore in high school, and uh, I was uh, playing varsity football and baseball at the time. And way before that, I, I'd say about 10 years old, I always wanted to be a Major League Baseball player. Uh, I fell in love with the game uh, due to my brother playing Little League before me. He's five years older. So I kind of had a romance begin with that and loved the game, how it was played. It was a lot of fun. And I uh, started taking it serious at about the age of 15. Uh we had a tournament in San Diego when I played at St. Augustine High School, and it was called the Lions Tournament. And in my sophomore year, I got the MVP award for that tournament and uh, beat some pretty good teams, and I was only 15. And, of course, the kids were older. So, you know, it started right then and there, uh, you know, that – I, I was starting to think that, hey, I'd go to a Padre game and I'd see these guys throw on the mound and I'd say, hey, I throw harder than they do right now. <laughs> so I started I started to understand that, you know, hey, maybe I might have a chance to be a big league ball player. So I'm going to take it very, very seriously. So I started really increasing my workouts and program and I really got into it. Now, let me ask you, whenever you announced however way you did that you wanted to be a major leaguer. Uh, did you get any resistance from anyone? Did, uh, support? Uh, how was it? 
Uh, I got a lot of support uh, from my parents. Uh, my coaches were all for it. Uh, but I also had a football career, too. And so, you know, I was an All-American football player in high school. And got picked for the McDonald's All-American Award, you know, sure. something that they did back then. But uh, so, you know, I, I had a four-year scholarship for baseball and football to USC. And so I had that staring me in the face, and which was not a bad deal. Right. But I really didn't want to play football because uh, I had some physical problems. Uh, I had spinal scoliosis, for one thing. I, even though I was strong and big and fast, and I still had back problems. And, you know, but because of my strength, it didn't really bother me when I played, but the doctor told me if I took one hit in that spot, it could cripple me. Mm. So that kind of deterred me from really looking at football. So I had to make a decision, you know, to go either with baseball and then a two-year scholarship, you know, with USC. And then I would have had to prove my other two years after that, and I wouldn't have been able to play football. So there were some decisions to be made. My parents, like I said, were very supportive of me. And uh, I, had, uh, I had a really good support staff at, at St. Augustine. Uh, with my coach, uh, Bill Whitaker, who kind of really looked after me and uh, made sure I was doing the right thing. And one of my teachers, uh, John Bowman, was also very, very good at uh, helping me along and in, in making the right decision. So uh, I, I didn't have any negative resistance. I had all positive resistance of, because they all knew I wanted to be a pro baseball player. Now, you mentioned your parents a few times, and as everyone knows, I always, always talk about my parents. I could not have, I wouldn't have the life yeah, I have I today have life. if it wasn't for my parents, and I wouldn't be doing what I do today if it wasn't for my parents. So tell us a little bit about your mom and dad. Yeah. Well, my dad was a, a fisherman. He served in the Navy during World War II. He's a chief petty officer. Uh, mom was uh, born and raised in San Diego of uh, two very fine Italian uh, immigrants from uh, Sicily. Uh, they settled in San Diego. And, uh, Nanu, was, uh, Nanu Frank was a, a fisherman. Uh, had two boats, fished albacore and tuna. And a uh, hardworking man. Made some of the best port wine you could think of and bootlegged <laughs> it probably back in the 20s. From right. all the stories I heard. <laughs> but he was a, he was a good family man and uh, provided for his family well and and Nanda was a little, about a four eleven Spitfire you know from Sicily straight out of the book you know she was uh, she was something else and she raised the my aunt Mary my aunt Lou my aunt Jenny my uncle Tommy and my uncle Pete so they had five kids and uh, so my mom was in. Uh, in that crew, and uh, she met my dad after, uh, before the war. When uh, right before the war started, my dad came out to join the navy, and that's when my mom and dad met. So, you know, from that point on, the war went on. Dad spent five years in the navy, came back home, and married my mom. So he was very fortunate to made it back. 
And from that point on, they started to raise a family. And my brother came first. I was second, and I have a sister. Uh, but uh, mom and dad were what I would consider the Aussie and Harriet of the Sicilian family lifestyle, you know? Yeah. Uh, they're, they're good people, good, solid people. And, you know, we didn't have much. You know, uh, dad didn't start. Dad started out fishing and, and did pretty good, but then he hurt his back and uh, had to give up the fishing trade uh, for, he started to work in, in the fishing industry as, as a fish butcher. And he worked for Anthony's Fish Crawlers in San Diego when they were just starting out with the Geo Geofam. So at that particular point, uh, he worked his way up into being a manager of one of the top restaurants in San Diego. Wow. On the start of the season. Yeah, so he he really worked hard and brought himself up to that level. Mom just made sure we got fed and and, uh, made sure, you know, we had good education. And, you know, between mom and dad, they took good care of us. That's great to hear. Good people. Yeah, that's nice to hear. Now, uh, tell us your feelings when you found out, your family's feelings, your feelings when you found out that you were drafted number one by the Giants. That had to have been a great uh, moment for you, for sure. Well, it was a, it was a great moment, but you've got to remember, we didn't have cell phones or computers back then. So, right. you know, getting the, inf- getting the information was kind of tough, you know. <laughs> the phone rang. We were all sitting around the table because we knew the draft was on, but we also knew there was another draft on called the uh, – military draft for That's Vietnam. Right, yeah. So we were waiting. I was sitting watching TV and seeing how the lottery was being picked. And I got picked number two by Uncle Sam. And I, then the phone rang. And shortly after that, I found out I was picked number one by the San Francisco Giants. So government number two and Giants number one. So, you know, it was a, it was a, up and down feeling because I knew that being picked number two, I was going to go to Vietnam. Uh, it was a given, right. but the giants made sure that they got me all set up in uh, national guard and made sure that I was protected as we say, right. uh, which they did. They did for a lot of the guys that, that they drafted during that period. They all made sure we were in national guard, uh, encampments but then the back problem that i had actually got me out of doing any service uh because of my scoliosis so i was uh, fortunate enough not to have to go and uh and the funny thing was dr robert curlin was the one that uh uh checked me out he was the last doctor orthopedic surgeon that checked me out when i was going into induction <laughs> go figure wow. right yeah yeah but, yeah, Bob Curlin. So, you know, other than that, uh, uh, I was able to get through all of that. And it, it was an exciting moment when I um, decided to to take, take the uh, step and go into pro ball at the age of 18. And I had never been out of San Diego except to Hawaii for my graduation. That was for two weeks. Mm-hmm. So you got to remember... The furthest I had been was up to San Francisco to see my grand grandparents and also my uncle. Uh, and that was, that was like an all two day excursion that uh, we drove, drove a 49 Chevy 
all the way up to San Francisco. So I hadn't been out of the San Diego area much at all. I was uh, very much protected in San Diego, and that's all I knew. And all of a sudden, I'm whisked away on a plane to Great Falls, Montana. Wow. So, you know, it's kind of a culture shock for me. I go from a nice beach town, you know, clean cities, you know, to to uh, Great Falls, Montana, which was an Air Force town uh, where there were missile silos and a lot of open area. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and my brother came with me and I, I pitched and I wasn't doing really good. And you know, it, took, it took some time to adjust, you know, homesickness and just the new friends that I was meeting. And, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a culture shock. It really was for me. And then uh, one day, uh, Harvey Kep, the manager of the club, came up to me. He says, John, if you don't start pitching better, uh, the organization's thinking about releasing you. So you better kick it, kick it in gear and pitch a good game. And I said, well, I'll try to do the best I can. You know, I'm just trying to make an adjustment to, to a new lifestyle, and it's been difficult for me, but uh, I'll do the best I can. And I, it was against, I can remember Caldwell, Idaho was the team, and it was a Cubs organization. And I went out and threw a no-hitter. <laughs> and I came back to Harvey Kemp, and I said, is that good enough for you, Harvey? <laughs> he, said, he goes, yes, son, that's good enough for me, and it's good enough for the orga- organization. You're going to winter ball. And winter ball instructional league was like, the, the you know, you're going up with the big boys. You know, right. it was like... Bobby, Bobby Bonds, you know, Gary Maddox, Matthews, the guys, you know, it's like, holy cow, it's all one good game and look what you get. And uh, so that was, that was an interesting year for me. And then I went to instruction league and then the next year I was in big league camp that fast. Now, so, do you think, do you think, of, the fa- do you think the fact that um, you had that homesickness or whatever was because you were so close to your mom and dad, because that's, that's what it would have happened to me for sure. Uh, is that, do you think yeah. that was a part of it? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, because I was so sheltered in, in one area, you know, Claudio, you know, if you don't have a chance to experience the world at a young age, you know, you don't know what to expect. You know, there's a lot of, uh, uh, well, how do I handle myself here? Uh, you know, what, what's there to do? Uh, how do I occupy myself? How do I not do stupid things and crazy things to get hurt? You know, you had to, all this stuff was running through my head. And, you know, I mean, I got guys on the team that are my age, they're smoking cigarettes for crying out loud. I'm, I'm like, geez, what did I do? Get hooked up with a bunch of hoodlums or what? You know what I mean? <laughs> You know, I was a good, clean kid, you know, coming into this. And, and I'm thinking, oh, my dad asked me, he said, you know, hey, you sure you want to do this? Because when you, I walked through the door at the San Diego Padres to do a, you know, uh, to pitch for them. They wanted to see what I could do. Like they didn't see enough. I was in their hometown. But uh, the door opened and all the smoke poured out and I saw guys smoking cigars and cigarettes and playing cards. And I thought I was in a pool hall more than I was in, you know, or a card room, you know, it was like, so that's when my dad asked me, are you sure you want to do this? And you sure you don't want to go to school? 
you know? <laughs> and yeah. said, no, no, I want to do this. Yeah, this is what I want. Yeah. He goes, okay, that's fine. Let's go. And, right. you know, from that point on, you know, that was a decision was made right there. there but, you, you know, it, it was it was the adjustment that I had to make in personal adjustments by myself without any help or any support. I had to do it alone. And I think that made me a very, very strong person to achieve that goal because I had my sights set on that goal. And right. that was getting to the big list, you right. know. Well, on that note, John, we're going to take a quick commercial break to hear from our sponsors, Roscoe Hearing and Allergy Care Center, Dom's Pizzeria and Sports Bar, criminal defense attorney Eric Jackson-Lurie, and our newest sponsor, the Quaker Valley Rotary Club, who happens to be hosting their 10th annual Anthony Colosimo golf outing June 11th at Beaver Valley Golf Club. Call Scott Zayner at 412-720-0298 and... The Quaker Valley Rotary is also doing a membership drive. Uh, again, call Scott Zayner at 412-720-0298. Great group, great guys involved. They do a lot of great things for our community. So make sure you give Scott a call. And uh, I promise you, you'll definitely enjoy your experience with the Quaker Valley Rotary. We're right back with John D'Aquisto. Dr. Roscoe, I've been talking to my dad and he seems out of sorts, like he can't understand what I'm saying. It's not just a hearing problem, Jolie. It is a health problem. Even with a mild hearing loss, our risk of dementia doubles with age. So let's improve dad's hearing and his health. Let us be the solution to his hearing health care needs so you and dad can experience many years of understanding, laughter, and happy memories. Serving the Dubois area for over 20 years, the Roscoe Hearing Care Center in Dubois, Punxsy, and St. Mary's. The hearing solutions you've been looking for. Call us for an appointment today, 814-375-0455. The law offices of Eric Jackson Lurie are available when you need it for all of your defense needs. Maybe it's a DUI, or maybe you found yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time. Whatever the scenario, the law offices of Eric Jackson Lurie are available seven days a week. With a practice based throughout western Pennsylvania, the law offices of Eric Jackson Lurie are conveniently located in downtown Pittsburgh and Fox Chapel. When you or a loved one needs discreet, experienced legal representation, call Eric Jackson Lurie at 412-963-9308. That's 412-963-9308. We want to welcome our newest sponsor, Dom's Pizzeria and Sports Bar. 502 Cavett Avenue in Trafford, Pennsylvania. Call 412-372-3667. Don Pecora, great guy, great food. Make sure you tell him we sent you. Okay, John. Now, I read somewhere where you were clocked at 105 miles an hour. Now that, you know, everybody talks yeah. about Nolan Ryan and, and uh, you know, the guys who threw hard like that, but J.R. Richard, and you were right up there with him. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely correct. Uh, actually, uh, it was a jug's gun, and they're five mile an hour slower. And it was 102.4, and it was 107.4. Wow. Okay. Pops. Pops. <laughs> pops. And that was at the end of the year in September of 74. Wow. So how hard was I throwing, say, midseason? Maybe a little harder. Uh, yeah, I was right up there with Noli and, you know, and it, you know, and I didn't know this, Claudio. I didn't know this till somebody sent me an article and it was called the almighty fastball. And it was written by Rob Nyer 
and Bill James, and it was written for ESPN magazine. And I read the article, and it said, out of the era of Pete Broberg and Gary Gentry and Nolan Ryan and Goose Gossage, uh, the fastest known radar gun reading for that era was for John D'Aquisto. And I went, son of a gun. <laughs> Fastball. Yeah. I guess you're it. So I was it. That's it. You That's know, for sure. He, he, you know, and I talked to Bob Feller when Bob was alive, and Bob would come up to me and he said, hey, I hear I hear rumors you were as fast as I was. I said, yeah, pretty good for a schmuck. He <laughs> goes, anyone that throws that hard ain't no schmuck in my book. That's right. You know? And I said, yeah, I'm just, I'm just kind of ribbing you, Bob. You know, I mean, you lasted a lot longer without any arm trouble. And, you know, you know, I, I broke, I broke my arm, you know, to Tommy John surgery in my second year. And I look back at all the innings I pitched. It was 200 plus innings every year in the minors, in the minors. Wow. Yeah. You don't hear about that. Yeah, 244 strikeouts, 245 strikeouts, 239 strikeouts. The only guy to do it consecutively in in three consecutive years, there were two guys that did it, me and Matt Moore. So, you know, it's like, how did that happen? You know, you just, you just keep your nose to the grindstone and keep going in the right direction and, and try to accomplish your goal. And, you know, when I look back at that, I threw over 15,000 pitches. Then I was wondering why I had only collateral ligament damage. Yeah, I figured <laughs> that one out real quick, you know. Didn't need a physical. But, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was like, I'll just let the kid pitch. And I'll give right. you an example. You'd never, you'd never hear of this today. No, I heck no. I pitched in a game, 16 innings. 18 strikeouts. The guy I pitched against was named Ken Medlock. Ken Medlock played the movie Moneyball. He was Grady Fuson. Okay. Medlock and I became friends after that game. He beat me two to one on 200 runs. I had a one to nothing lead. Breakdown of the defense. You know, two ground balls. Boom. Score. Score. I lose. I'm sorry, go ahead. The next week, the next week, I throw another 14-inning game. Wow. Who would have gotten fired? Yeah, <laughs> the whole staff. I mean, I thought you were going to say that you don't you don't see guys throwing, uh, you know, that many innings, which obviously you don't. I didn't know that you were going to say that you pitched – you know, what thirty innings in two weeks? You know, that's that's crazy. Yeah, and they don't they don't do exactly. that in four start. They don't do that in four starts anymore. They don't do that in a whole year. No. <laughs> well, you know what? Since, since you mentioned well, that, since you mentioned that, um, I, I read a stat true. one time that uh, Warren Spawn had more complete games than Pedro Martinez had. Not Pedro Martinez. Yeah, Pedro Martinez had wins. Yeah. Now, yeah. what do you think about the? Uh, you know, the innings pitched and the pitch counts and all that kind of stuff. What what is because again, I, I, I I'm fifty six, John, and I grew up in the best yeah. era, in my mm-hmm. opinion, of baseball in the seventies and the and the piece of the eighties. And Oh, absolutely. 
and I'm not, I'm not real crazy about the way pitching staffs or really, to be honest with you, the game is played or coached today, but that's another story. But what are your thoughts about the pitch counts and innings uh, and all that kind of stuff? Well, first of all, I am a purist of the game. I like, I like old school baseball like you do. Uh, the golden era of baseball is so 60s, 70s, 80s. Yeah. 90s, it started to change. Uh, I was fortunate enough to play in that era. Uh, I, so I got a pretty good idea about what I'm seeing now compared to what I did when I played. And, you know, I hear things like uh, Jacob Negron, great pitcher, great pitcher. Can't win a game. Nets can't win a game for Jacob Negron. Well, let me explain something to you. If Jacob Negron went eight innings, he might win a game. Yeah. But when you only go six and you open it up to the bullpen, I was taught when I was pitching, it's your game till you, till you give it up. Till you give it up. You either win it or you're going to lose it. Gibson was like that. Koufax was like that. You know, half the Met staff was like that. Nolan Ryan was like that. Look at the complete games that are out there. I'm not saying you got to go nine, but at least give me eight. Give me eight innings and give yourself a chance to win a game. Give yourself and your team a chance to win the game. You know, you got to stick it out there. You're the quarterback, you know, like of the football team. You're the general. You make it happen. You go out, you stick your nose to the grindstone, and you bore it out all the way, and you beat that team you're playing against. That was my goal every time I went out. And, of course, there were times I didn't win. But you know what? I gave it a good effort of at least 110%. And that was probably part of my downfall because I put so much emphasis on on being aggressive and successful at what I did. I have to ask you the last year's World Series, since we're talking about this, when Blake Snell was taken out, I felt the entire Dodger bench was just relieved that they took him out. And I, I said on my show that one of these coaches, and I thought it was going to be Roberts because I'm not real crazy about the way he handles his pitching staff, but I said one of these coaches yeah. is, is going to make a big mistake and lose this series, and I thought that was it. What were your thoughts on yeah. Blake Snell, who was cruising along and dominating, and they took him out? What were your thoughts on that when that happened? It's a World Series. My pitcher's cruising along. He's not in any trouble. I'm leaving him in, period. Period. All right? <laughs> period. Okay? I am going to sit there. You're a coach. You coach college baseball, Carnegie Mellon. Yep. You know what's going on. I, as your pitching coach, I would walk up to you and I'd go, Claudio, we leave the boy in until he proves us wrong, right? That's right. That's right. And that's what you would say. You would say, that's right. And so, I, my heart, sunk for the, for, the, for the Rays when I saw him get yanked out of the game and I saw the, the reaction on his face when he got pulled was like, are you freaking crazy? I got these guys right where I want them. Leave me in the game. I'm the best thing you got going. You could see it on his face. I'm going to win this game for the team. You taking me out? Holy cow. It just broke my heart, man. It just broke my heart. And like I said, I could you could just sense the Dodgers' confidence 
If there was a meter, man, it would have jumped through the through the roof because they were glad. Well, they were applauding out. for crying yeah. out loud. They were applauding yeah. that he got taken out of the game. But I see that all. I see that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I see it all the time. Yeah, I see it all the time. You know, and and, and I I just shake my head and I go, "What the heck has this game come to?" You know, it's like, you know, we coddle these guys. Yeah. To a point that they're not in real good shape to go nine. Exactly. Or eight. Okay. How much are we going? How much are we going to allow them to not get physically trained to the point where they can handle the game itself? Okay. Uh, first of all, your bullpen, your bullpen would be great. Your bullpen would be stronger because you've got guys going into the eighth inning and you're not using them. You can rotate the guys more often, okay, with, with that at hand. So you would have a stronger bullpen. You just keep them all sharp, make them throw, you know, keep them on a schedule. But, you know, things would be a lot better, and, get, and the better pitchers would come to the top. The cream would always come to the top, and you'd win more games that way instead of hoping to God that you're going to win it with the bullpen. Right. You know, it's, it's called reverse osmosis is, is the way I look at it in baseball. You're pitching with your bullpen instead of with your starter. Yeah, you know, no, I'm with you that. a thousand percent. I'm with you a thousand percent. And I think that's okay. also one of the reasons why the games take so long. The, you know, the manager comes out, the pitcher comes in and warms up, and they want to speed the game up. Although I do not like the rule where you have to throw to what is it, three batters or whatever the hell that is. I'm not three crazy batters. About yeah. I don't like that. Either. Yeah, it's it's definitely yeah. different for sure. Well, but, um, it's not it's not the it's not the purest me- methodology, Claudio. No, you know, it's it's where. You know, it, it, it's that's not going to speed the game up, okay? Uh, in fact, that might even slow the game up. Exactly. But, uh, you know, you got to let the game be the game. The game is the grand old game of baseball. You let the game be the game, and, you know, you take it from there. Yep. Uh, you know, the TV dictates a lot, and, you know, granted, you know, that's what pays the ticket, you know? Yeah. And... You know, so you got to give them their their due. Uh, the the PGA's got it down right, man. They do the split screen. Yeah, okay. yeah that's right. <laughs> football, football, football does the split screen. You know, hey, we can knock down a few fifteen second commercials on the side while we got the guy warming up here instead of cutting off the break. You know, so it all depends how you want to work it. I'm sure. I'm sure either they're going to figure it out. Or they're not going to figure it out. <laughs> right. you know, it's gonna be, That's right. It's going to be one or the other. One you know? or the other. I just hope they don't mess it up too much. You know, right. that's all I got to say. You know. Well, we're going to take another quick commercial break before we go into your major league career. We're going to hear from our sponsors, Roscoe Hearing and Allergy Care Center, Don's Pizzeria and Sports Bar, Criminal Defense Attorney Eric Jackson-Lurie, and our newest sponsor, Quaker Valley Rotary Club, which again is hosting the 10th Annual Anthony Colosimo Golf Outing June 11th at Beaver Valley Golf Club. Call Scott Zayner at 412 412- Seven two zero zero two nine eight, and I forgot to mention my book, "Lead from the Heart Up, Not the Neck Up: How to Create a Positive Winning Culture on the Field and in the Office," is on sale now. You can get it on my website, ClaudioRelsano.com, Amazon.com, my publisher, JohnMelvinPublishing.com, and you can buy it at the Barnes and Noble in Robinson Township and the Swickley Penguin Bookstore. We're right back with John Diaquisto. 
Dr. Roscoe, I've been talking to my dad and he seems out of sorts, like he can't understand what I'm saying. It's not just a hearing problem, Jolie. It is a health problem. Even with a mild hearing loss, our risk of dementia doubles with age. So let's improve dad's hearing and his health. Let us be the solution to his hearing health care needs so you and dad can experience many years of understanding, laughter, and happy memories. Serving the Dubois area for over 20 years, the Roscoe Hearing Care Center in Dubois, Punxsy, and St. Mary's. The hearing solutions you've been looking for. Call us for an appointment today, 814-375-0455. The law offices of Eric Jackson Laurie are available when you need it for all of your defense needs. Maybe it's a DUI, or maybe you found yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time. Whatever the scenario, the law offices of Eric Jackson Laurie are available seven days a week. With a practice based throughout western Pennsylvania, the law offices of Eric Jackson Lurie are conveniently located in downtown Pittsburgh and Fox Chapel. When you or a loved one needs discreet, experienced legal representation, call Eric Jackson Lurie at 412-963-9308. That's 412-963-9308. We want to welcome our newest sponsor, Dom's Pizzeria and Sports Bar. 502 Cavett Avenue in Trafford, Pennsylvania. Call 412-372-3667. Don Pecora, great guy, great food. Make sure you tell him we sent you. Okay, John, now tell us a little bit about uh, some most memorable moments in your major league or tenure major league career. Well, there there were a couple of moments that I, I there were a lot more than a couple, but uh there were a couple that really stuck out in my head, in my, especially in my first year. Um, I had uh, my very first game on September 2nd, 1973, was I accomplished my goal. I got to the big leagues, and I'm pitching in the big leagues wearing a giant uniform. It was the most awesome feeling that an individual could feel is – walking past the bathroom and the mirror is right there and you look at the mirror and you go, God dang, I really did make it. Holy cow. <laughs> it's, it's time to rock and roll. Here we go. You know, and, and it was like, God, I'm here. It's time to go play. And I'd go out and start to warm up and people are watching you and, you know, it's like your heart's racing and, you know, your adrenaline's flowing, you know, it's just everything's kind of going all at once and you're kind of gearing yourself down, you know, and getting focused. And, you know, like, like in the movie uh, For the Love of the Game, you know, the, the scene that uh, Kevin Costner used in the movie was clear the mechanism. You know, and that movie really depicted a lot of things that went on in a pitcher's head. Mm-hmm. And I, I enjoyed that movie because it was right on spot. It was spot on. But you would try to clear the me- mechanism and get into a focus spot, which was a little square of that catcher's mitt. That's what you wanted. A little round, little round circle that you were looking at. And you didn't see anything else but that. And, you know, I was there. I was there. And I remember Mike Sadek came up to me and he says, well, I'm going to be catching you today. I said, yeah, I figured that, I figured that out already. And he goes, he goes, oh, okay. I said, uh, so who do we have first? He says, uh, we got Ralph Gar. Oh, good. Runs 100 <laughs> miles an hour, and I throw 100 miles an hour. Okay, let's go. 
boom, strike him out first, right out of the get-go. And, you know, now your heart's really pumping because now you got Ralph Gar up, you know, who else am I going to see? You know, if, you know, and so I get out of that first inning, but no problem. I, I go all the way up into the fifth inning and, you know, I'm starting, starting to cruise and then Dusty Baker hits a, hits a home run off of me. And then I walk a guy and uh, Charlie Fox comes out to the mound and he says, that's it for you, kid. This is just to dip your feet in the water. I said, but Charlie, aren't you going to give me a chance to win my game? It's seven, seven to seven to one. He goes, yeah, no, I'm going to take you out. He goes, I think you had enough. So I said, okay. So he takes me out of the game, but that first game was so memorable. But the game that really was really memorable was my next start against the San Diego Padres from my hometown. And my parents were listening to it in San Diego. And I struck out 11. Wow. And went nine. And went nine. (laughs) Gave up two, two hits. And let me tell you something, Claudio. That phone... I called at home. They were still screaming down in San Diego <laughs> and just going crazy. You know, oh, we listened to the whole game on the radio and oh God, we're so proud of you. Da, 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 you know, all this is right then and there. What my parents did for me through little league, pony league, American Legion, high school ball, taking me to the ballpark every day watching my games, being there for support. That is what paid them back. Yeah. That game, that game, being in the big leagues, paid it back. And, you know, that made me feel good. You thought my dad and mom were busting buttons? I was busting buttons because I knew they got something back for what they gave to me. For sure. And I was able to give back to them. That's great. And it was true love, you know, true love back to my mom and dad. Yeah. That's nice. I like that. And and everybody who knows me and listens to me all the time, like I said, I always mention my parents. And uh, for me, it was always uh, a gift to them, like like the way you just said. Anything that I ever accomplished, it was for them. Um, it was it was yeah. a gift presented to them. And, and you mentioned that your first game was of September of seventy three. The first game I ever went to was August nineteenth, nineteen seventy three. I was eight years old. My uncle used to work at Three River Stadium. So and and they were playing the Giants, and I just missed you. And um, you just missed me. I just missed you. And he used to take me to the locker yeah. rooms and everything, you know, on the pirate side. But that's what I knew yeah, what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And, and my parents, as I said, were extremely supportive. But um, yeah, so yeah. when you said September, I because I damn it, I, I just missed you back then. But um, I'm sure yeah. I used to go to just about every Sunday game from 73 till about 80, 82. So I'm sure I saw you. I know I saw you pitch. That I know for sure. I oh, remember. you had to have. Oh, I, I know I did. I pitched a lot in Pittsburgh. I, I, pitched, I pitched a lot against uh, against the Pirates, and right. they hated my guts because oh. uh, I, I was pretty tough on them. You sure but, were. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I tell you the truth. I, I tell you, they, they had that scoreboard where they would have, you know, the, the picture of the uh, of the picture picture of the pitcher yeah. and I know I yes. again I do remember because you were an Italian guy and I remember uh, when, when you were pitching oh, yeah. so I it's crazy now that, that you're on the show and that's uh, how, how crazy things can happen for sure but yeah. um, but that's cool 
That's yeah, cool. it is. I got to I'll, I'll tell you one 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 more memorable moment. Sure. And and you you'll you'll appreciate you'll appreciate this. Uh I'm pitching against the St. Louis Cardinals against Bob Gibson. Oh, uh who was my arch arch rival. <laughs> First for the two games I pitched against him, we almost killed each other. Wow. I swear. You know, Gibby was tough. Gibby was tough. But I would go, I was into the game, say about the seventh, eighth, eighth inning around that time. And I strike out Keith Hernandez. Mm. And all of a sudden, people start clapping and start standing. And I'm looking around like, what the hell is going on? I'm looking around. And I'd never been given a standing ovation before in my whole life. Okay. And I'm sitting there looking around, and Chris Fire comes running in, and he goes, he goes, uh, you just broke the Ricky strikeout record that's been held since 1906. Wow. I said, 1900 what? He says, look at the scoreboard, fool. Look. And I looked at the scoreboard, and there it was on the scoreboard that I broke the record. And, and I go, holy cow. So I had to regroup. You know, uh, it kind of got to me. And, uh, you know, it was like all that effort to get there and get you a goal was all just accomplished in that game right there and breaking that record really put the, the last nail into the, not the coffin, but into the house I was grabbing. Right. Now, you know, do you, it, do you still have that baseball? Was, oh, yeah, I got it. It's, it's about two and a half feet away from me. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. That's great. That's yeah, great yeah, I got it. It's here. You know, and, uh, but that was cool. That was cool. Now, your last year was with uh, Oakland. Uh, tell us a little bit. Well, before yes. that, tell, now you did play for San Diego. Tell us a little bit about that time, and then tell us how it was to play for Billy Martin in 82. Okay. And San Diego was interesting because I'd gotten traded from St. Louis. And uh, it's, it's very interesting. Some of the major memorable points of my career were against the Cardinals. And going to San Diego was no different. Uh, I was on a team in St. Louis that we had a manager by the name of Vern Rapp. And we had a great team. But Vern was causing a lot of dissension by putting rules on the guys and it was the 70s, and we were young, and we were brash, and we respected management, but, you know, it was the 70s. Come on. You know, get yeah. with the program. Right. You know, I mean, you know, it's long hair and Fu Manchus and yet everything, and he wants us to cut our hair, shave everything off, and, you know, we're grown men. And so that created a quite a dissension, but I was also the assistant player rep with Lou Brock. So I went up to Lou and I said, Lou, is there any way you can help me get training? And he says, why? I said, I can't play for this guy. I'm sorry. I just can't. Uh, I need to get out of here. He doesn't like me. I don't like him. <laughs> and I, I, think it, I think it'd be better, better that I leave. He goes, I'll see what I can do. So all of a sudden, I start seeing Bob Fontaine showing up from the Padres. He's the general manager. And Bob is in St. Louis. Bob is in Houston. Bob is in an exhibition game that I pitched in. 
in uh, New Orleans with the Pelicans. I was with the Cardinals, but we played against the Pelicans. And I'm going, what the heck's going on? Someone's looking at me. I was smart enough to realize I was getting showcased. <clears throat> so Lou probably did what I asked him to do. And uh, we're in, in Houston at the time, and it's 1.30 in the morning, and there's a knock on the door, and it's Claude Osteen, my pitching coach, and he's got uh, two glasses and a bottle of wine <laughs> at 1.30 in the morning. And I, and I go, what do you want? He says, I need to talk to you. I said, what do you need to talk to me about? I said, come on in. So he comes in, sits down, and uh, pours me a little bit of wine. He says, you need to get dressed, and you need to come with me. I said, where are we going? He says, we're going up to go see Vern, Ding Divine, and uh, Sully, our traveling secretary. I said, okay. So I get all dressed up, walk upstairs with Claude. I go, the door's open. So I walk in through the door, and all of a sudden I look straight ahead, and there's the three guys sitting there, and they point their fingers to the phone that's adjacent to the pony wall, right from when you come in the door. I pick up the phone. I said, hello, who's this? I finally got you. I said, and who is this? He says, it's Buzzy Bavese from San Diego. Yeah. You're going, you're going to play for us now. I go, oh, thank God. <laughs> thank you, Buzzy. Now, now the $64,000 question is, where do I pick up the clubs from here? He goes, you got to go to Montreal, Canada. Oh, Jimmy Christmas. Couldn't it have been San Diego? He goes, you're going to Canada. You're pitching tomorrow. I go, oh, geez. Okay. So all I get packed up, head off to the airport, get on the plane. Even customs knew I was coming. <laughs> Let me tell you. They all... They, they had it all prepped, and people were there to pick me up and take me to the ballpark and the whole nine years. So <laughs> I get to the ballpark, and I see Raleigh Fingers, Randy Jones, who's a very good friend of mine, and Gene Tennis, who's another good friend of mine. And Gino's got family in Pittsburgh. Right. Yeah, he you played know, here. Yeah. Right. yeah, and he played there. And, you know, so it's like, I got all of these guys I know. Now I'm on a team of guys I know that are good friends of mine. And I come walking in and I come from, of course, the Cardinals that are red, red with blue unis, right? And the Padres are, are brown and gold. I got nothing to wear. Nothing. Zero. <laughs> they don't have anything to get. I'm talking to the clubby from, <laughs> from you got any shoes that are white? You know, uh, Doug Rader. Rader comes up to me and says, John, here's a pair of shoes. They're not much, but you can wear these. So I <laughs> Doug's shoes. They gave me some sleeves, so I had sleeves. And uh, the rest was fine. And uh, I can remember sitting in the dugout with my Padre jacket on. And... Roger comes up to me. He was a pitching coach, and Johnny McNamara was the manager. <coughs> and uh, 
So Roger comes up to me and says, hey, in the sixth inning, you can go home. You know, go back to the hotel, get your rest, because it's, it's going to be a day game tomorrow. You're pitching. And I said, oh, great, super. So around the sixth inning, I go in, shower up, and uh, head on back to La Cite Hotel. And I'm sitting in my room watching the game on, on CCAC TV, and uh, it's into the 8th, it's into the ninth, it's into the 11th, it's into the 12th, 13th, 14th, 16th inning, 17th, 18th, <laughs> 19th inning. I said, well, I'm going to go down and get something to eat, go down and get something to eat, come back up to the room. It's into the 20th. It's hidden to the 21st inning. Wow. And finally the game's over. And I didn't get one wink of sleep. I was watching the game. <laughs> 21 innings. 21 innings. Wow. What's it the with you in extra innings, right? <laughs> I don't know. I think it haunted me for my whole career. And then uh, the next day, I go to the ballpark. I'm the only guy on the bus. They they didn't come home. They had pizza at the ballpark and slept at the ballpark. Wow. Which is probably the smartest thing they could have done. And uh, so I walk in, and they're all on the floor out cold. No batting practice today. No nothing. You know, just get dressed. We're going to go play. Mm -hmm. And uh, so... (laughs) I go, oh, boy, this is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. I'm the only one that's got any kind of rest. And, you know, we go from there. So I go in. I pitched seven innings. I gave up three runs. And uh, pitched actually pretty good, you know. And uh, I, I, I got through it. And then, I, you know, we go back to San Diego, and Johnny Mack gets fired, and they hire Alvin Dark. And then the story, this story gets even better. So Alvin uh, was a very religious man. Right. And he wanted to try to convert everyone to be born-again Christian that he thought wasn't already a born-again Christian. So he picked on me. And I'm an Italian Catholic. I was, right. I was born again when I was born. Okay, <laughs> and so I didn't need any re- refreshing of where where my religion was. Okay, so there was a little friction there. And I pitched against the Dodgers and did good. Uh, came back, in, and that was in L.A. I went like six and two thirds. Came back to San Diego. I got the Dodgers again, and I pulled a cartilage in my rib cage. And taking BP because I hadn't swung a bat in so long, you know, those muscles hadn't been used. And I hurt sure. myself. So I get sent down for a rehab assignment. And uh, I had uh, Randy come up to me, Raleigh come up to me, Bob Fontaine, you know, Buzzy called me upstairs. He says, Look, you got to go down, go heal up, and we'll call you back. And I said, yeah, I heard that before, but okay, I'll do that. So I go down, and I'm in pain. I, I, I didn't even get any rest. Uh, they just threw me out there. First, first night I, I was available to pitch, they ran me out there, and I said, oh, my God, I'm in pain. 
So I had to go see the trainer. The trainer gave me some what what they call uh, uh, these uh, like super aspirin. You know, it it wasn't like Darmacet or anything like that, but it was it was like uh, you know something that could you know help the pain. Sure. And uh, I went out and went nine. I went nine. <laughs> <laughs> and I won the game. Oh my God. You know, you talk about, and I was in pain. I had ice pack. Ice and I became good friends. We became <laughs> very good friends. And so, you know, the next game, my start comes up again. I go out again. I win again. And the next start comes out again. I win again. So I get, most of the time, I'm, you know, getting, we're getting to the end of the season here. And I'm not getting called up. And so I said, well, it's time to step it up a little bit. So we're getting into playoffs for the PCL championship. And I'm pitching against the San Jose Beans, which was uh, a Tennessee Royal club at the time. And uh, I throw a seven inning. is a doubleheader and because we, we had to make the game up. I threw a seven inning shutout two hitter the phone rings in the clubhouse i'm in ice and myself and it's buzzy bavese and the clubby comes up to me and says hey mr bavese would like to talk to you i go i don't want to talk to him <laughs> he goes no he wants he wants to talk to you now i said okay i get on the phone he says you have a plane ticket down at psa i want you on that flight now and he says, I want you at the ballpark in time for the team pitcher. Oh, my God. Okay. So I'm sitting here, and I'm, I'm going to now shower up, get on a plane. My clothes are still at the freaking hotel, you know? <laughs> and I'm going, are you kidding me? So I said, oh, the heck with the clothes. We had one of the guys pick them up for me, so he brought them, brought them back and they shipped them back to me in San Diego. But I got down. My brother was waiting for me. He worked for PSA. My brother Fred was waiting for me. He got all my stuff, put it on, put it on the run, you know, the runway, and they took it and I took it to a cab, took me to the ballpark, went down to the clubhouse, threw on my jersey, threw on my pants and sanitaries and my spats, put on my shoes, and went out to the field and stood in for the team pitcher, which was just being snapped. <laughs> and I made it. So from that point on, it's, now the story gets real interesting, <laughs> real interesting. So I make it back down. I ended up pitching in a couple of games, and I did really well. And then the season ends, and Alvin's still the manager. Well, my brother one runs across Alvin Dark at the airport, and he says, you know, I'm going to send your brother to AA next year for him to get some seasoning. And my brother told him he didn't need any seasoning. He's a big league pitcher. Right. And I said, thanks, thanks, Fred. Thanks for getting into my life, but, you know, that's okay. <laughs> Even though you're right, didn't have to tell Alvin that. You know, that's like, forget about it. So... We go to spring training. I got Gaylord Perry, Randy Jones, Raleigh Fingers, myself. We're all huddled around, and Gaylord tells me, he says, hey, 
Alvin's talking about sending you down. And I said, well, the only thing I could think of is that you could probably step in there for me and kind of tell him not to do it, uh, you know, because I'm ready to go. I, I had gone to Winter Bowl, and I was 9-0 and in Winter Bowl in Mexico. And I struck out, you know, almost 120-some guys in the, in the games that I played. I was, like, tearing it up down there. So I was ready to go. I knocked down some innings. I was in shape and ready to go. And they knew it. But Alvin didn't want anything to do with it. So it's getting down to cut time. And uh, we're going to Tucson. And I make, I make that road trip. I'm going on the road trip. I was supposed to have been cut. All of a sudden, I get on the bus. Roger Craig is sitting in the manager's seat. And I go, hey, Roger, what are you doing sitting in the manager's seat? He goes, uh, because I'm the manager. I go, yeah, right. And I'm the Pope. Yeah, okay. Hi, I'm Pope John Francis. Nice to meet you. I start joking with him. He says, no, Johnny, I'm serious. I'm, I'm the manager. Alvin got fired. I said, praise God. My God, there's a God. And he's a baseball fan. Oh, my God, this is great. He goes, get in the back of the bus. <laughs> just like that. And I'm like, oh, my God. No, I'm still getting sent down. Now Now my mind's playing tricks on me. Now my best friend and pitching coach is telling me to get to the back of the bus, you know? So we get down to Tucson. I, I'll never forget this, Claudio. I'm going to tell you, this is this is something you don't forget. We get down to Tucson. Howard Cosell's down there. He's getting his, you know, getting his information, meeting players, you know, talking right. with them getting some info, right? He knows my dad real well, so I spent some time with, with Howard. And all of a sudden, I look across the way. I got Bob Fontaine, Roger Craig, and Chuck Estrada, who's now the new pitching coach, who is very close with me. They're across the way, and they're motioning to the dugout. Come on over here. And, and I point, like, to my chest. Who, me? <laughs> and they said, yes, you, you, come over here. And I said, oh, here it is. Here's the drop of the bomb. Here it comes. So I walk over there. They're on the other side of the fence in the stands. I'm on this side. No one's in the ballpark yet. You know, we hadn't started BP or nothing. So I walk over and say, well, good morning, gentlemen. And what can I do for you? Roger goes, well, Johnny, you know, I'll tell you. He says, uh, I just, this is my first day as manager. And this is the hardest thing for a manager to do. And I said, oh, here it comes. Here it comes. He says, I, I, I hate to do this to you. And, and Bob Fontaine goes, yeah, it's kind of a rough thing to do, you know, to have to do this. And Chuck Estrada chimes in and says, yeah, we really don't want to do this, but we have to anyway. He says, well, I said, look, it's okay. Don't, don't go beating yourselves up on this. I'll, I'll just go back to the dugout and watch the game and pack my stuff up for AAA. And they go, what do you mean AAA? You made the ball club. <laughs> We're taking you with us. And, and then my Glorioski teammates had the pink slip on my bag. Uh, you know, play, playing jokes with Johnny Matai. Doc Matai was our traveling secretary, so he had the pink slip already on my bag playing. Oh, my God. Those guys were the biggest bunch of characters I ever had. From that point on, 
I was put in the bullpen, and I did trash trash detail, you know, trash pickup, you know. <laughs> well, well, my first game, I went in for trash detail. I struck out the side, and I walked off that mound. And Roger met me, and he says, "Welcome back, kid. You just found yourself a new role." I said, "What trash detail?" He goes, "Oh hell no." Next game, the Cardinals were in town. He put me in a game at four to three for Gaylord Perry to hold them. And I went out and I had to face Keith Hernandez. Uh, actually, it was it was Ted Sizemore, Keith Hernandez, and a guy named Ted Simmons. The meat of their lineup, pretty much. Sizemore was yeah. you know number two, but. I had to face those two guys, my old teammates, with right. Vern Rapp at the helm. I go in, strike out Sizemore, pop up Keith Hernandez and strike out Ted Simmons. I come flying off that mound like someone spiked me with you-know-what. I was like higher than a kite coming off of there, you know, doing the fist pump. I was pumped. I was just, I felt so good. And I got in. Sure. Then Roger came up to me and said, Hey, now, welcome back. This is your spot. And I said, thank you, sir. I gave him a hug, and I said, thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this for me. You don't know how much it means for me. Appreciate it. Next inning, I went and closed it out for Gaylor and got my first save. And uh, and I'll tell you what, what a feeling. Claudio, you talk about, hey, nothing. There's no drugs out there that can make you feel this good. I don't care what anybody says. No. Just experiencing that and being at the highest level, pitching against your old teammates and beating them, oh, it's the best. That sure is. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And the thing is, you know, the way you talk about it, it seems like it just happened last night, and that's good that it stuck with you all these years and, and will always stick with you. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It was it was forty five appearances that year. Yeah. Uh, I stopped Birch Hooten from getting his million dollar plus contract by beating <laughs> him. The last game, he was pissed. Excuse my French. He was not happy with me. And I went eight innings, and we beat them three to one. And then I had to play in a golf tournament with him, and he was my partner. He was my partner. He didn't speak to me for 18 holes. I was going to say, it's a long golf day. Oh, it was terrible. It was terrible, you know? And I didn't say two words. I just kept having my head shaking my head. And, oh, God, we were laughing. And he wasn't. I was. And and I go, you really got to be, you're really going to do this to me, aren't you? He goes, shut up. I don't want to. I don't want to hear a peep from you. You cost me a million dollars. I said, "Well, I'm sorry." You know, at least well, I didn't throw it, throw the game away. You know, right. but, uh, it, but it was know, fun. That's a it great story. That's great. And, and and like I said, I love the passion that you still have for it after all these years. You know, John. One of the oh, things yeah. to, to transit to transition into something else. Uh, all of us sure. have things we have to overcome in life. Um, and, and it's hard and it's hard. And and we look back sometimes I was just telling somebody today who's going through some things. And I said, you know, um, 
when we overcome things, we look back on them and say, how the hell did we do that? But something kicks in um, and we do get through it. And, and you had some tough things yeah. happen to you. And, and to me, I, I think it's an inspiration on, you know, where, what happened to, to where things are now. So if you can, you know, it's all yours. Tell us, sure. uh, you know, if you, whatever you, whatever you want to talk about and, and how you overcame things and um, how, what advice yeah. you give to others about overcoming whatever they're involved with. Sure. Sure. Uh, after baseball was over, I, after in fact, in the off season, I was I, I worked for Bank of America. Okay, I was a, a assistant vice president for B of A and Bank of Mark, Bank of America Visa, and so I had a banking background, and I continued in that direction because it was a very well paying job for me. And I, I worked for B of A when I was in San Francisco in 1973 all the way to when I got into San Diego into 1979. And then I stopped working for him and went to work for Sun Savings and Loan and continued my banking career and became a senior VP, you know, with First Commercial Bank out of Sacramento. So I was having a good, good career in the banking industry. And uh, after that, I decided to open up a trust financial uh, company and uh, start doing very well with that. And I kind of got involved with some clients that were a little bit fishy at the time. I didn't think that they were, but later on, it began to come apparent that they were. And I didn't know how to get out of it. And they set me up. And what you call a bag man left me holding the bag. And I had to serve time when they took the money and all my other clients' money out of the accounts and ran off with it and left me saying that I was the one that sold the money, yet they couldn't find where I stole the money. So explain that. Anyway, I went through hell. I served five years in federal uh, camp and uh, I went back to I went back to school number one uh, I obtained my degree uh, through the programs they had and I was able to get my bachelor's and then I increased it to my master's and after that I then got my doctorate degree in biomechanical engineering and exercise science and physiology. Uh, I also became a fireman during that period. It was a camp. Uh, I had access to going outside and fighting fires. And I did that for five years. I went through hell because I knew I was being set up. My attorney knew I was being set up. I prayed to the good Lord night after night just to protect me and keep me safe and to get me through this. And that's what kind of got me through everything, my faith and uh, just doing the right thing. But to be very honest with you, if this didn't happen to me, it may have been the end, end to my life. 
because it was sending me down the wrong road and a road that I did not like. And so God will tend to do things for you and teach you lessons along the way. You have to recognize them and adapt to them. And this was one of them. And I was uh, very fortunate to have a great support staff. And my parents, uh, my family, uh, you know, it was hard. My friends all left me. Uh, I was ridiculed in San Diego, which didn't help my family much. Uh, They took it hard, very hard. And uh, I had to fight. I had to fight for my life. A lot of people that went through this would probably have ended their life. I didn't. I fought for it. And I fought for it to the extent that I helped my attorney find and convict the people who set me up. It took five and a half years to get it finally to achieve that. Nothing was said in the paper. Nothing was said that, you know, I I was vindicated. Nothing was said at all. All I kept seeing was I went to prison and got more time uh, for ripping people off. And, you know, and it wasn't true. It wasn't true. And finally, when we came to the fruition and were able to prove what happened, they dropped all the charges except for one. And I took that because I wanted to end the craziness that was causing my parents harm. So I stopped it uh, by taking one count. And I finished out my sentence, and then I was released early for good behavior and saving people's lives as a fireman. And, you know, I got through it. I look back at it now, it's been since 1996 was when I went in. And when I got out, it was, you know, 2001. So five years. And it was actually the end of 96, so about four and a half because I got out early. And uh, about four and a half years I spent. And in the papers that I see, you know, even to today, it says that I served uh, eight years, and that's not correct at all. It's not correct at all. I didn't serve that time. And uh, because we did find out what happened. And, you know, you take a deep breath. You, You look at yourself and you say, who are you, John? What are you made out of? Where'd you come from? What? What did your mom and dad teach you? How are you going to react to this? How are you going to handle yourself when you come home? Are you going to be an ass? Are you going to be who you are? Are you going to try to regain the respect from other people? Because that's what you have to do. Uh, You know, there's a lot of ways you can take this down what road you want to go. I chose the road to smile a lot to show that my heart was pure and that I was able to get through what I went through better than anybody else could say that they could get through it. And having your reputation pulled away from you and to be able to come back 
and have it given back to you. And one of the best things that I can say is that the people who I work for now, Major League Baseball, has given me the opportunities to come back to the game in a different capacity, but in a high-ranking capacity. And to be able to say, you know, I'm senior support with MLB data operations now. And, you know, it's funny how things come full circle, Claudio, but it's how you handle yourself after the, after the incident occurs and after the hard line stuff hits you, how are you going to handle yourself afterwards? And, you know, I have little earmarks in my house now. I look at my diplomas on the wall. I go, that wasn't easy, but I did it. Right. I look at the artwork I have on the wall, and my favorite is Roberto Clemente standing with Ernie Banks that I painted. It's my favorite. I also see pictures of my Packers. I'm a Packer fan, but I'm also a Steelers fan. I I I don't mind saying it. I love the Steelers. <laughs> and you know, and I look around, and I and I say, you know, you accomplished a lot in your life, and went through a lot in your life, and you never broke stride. You never broke stride. You just kept on going, kept on going, kept on going. I went through divorces, got through those. I went through going to to prison. I got through that. I went through my mom and dad passing. That was hard. And working for Major League Baseball. It's my eighth season with Major League Baseball in what I do. And I love every minute of it. I love the people I work with, and I have some good friends and a great support staff in my bosses and the people I work with. And it wasn't easy, my friend. It wasn't easy. But you did it, though. Yes, I did. I did it every single second of the way and minute of the way. And and to to me, I I told you when we first – connected Jim Valvano used to say that his favorite <laughs> word in English dictionary was the word impact and your story Absolutely. anyone who hears your story uh, is going to be impacted you, you're I mean obviously you had a, uh, a major league career which is a big thing but I think what you've done with your life and all the things that happened to you and all the obstacles you had to overcome I think is yep even more important and, and will have impact on people. And I, I think that's great. And I appreciate you sharing that story. And um, I'm so happy oh, that you're pleasure. doing well. Uh, I'm so happy that you're doing well. And uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. I, I really am. Yeah, and, and like I said, I was a, I was a fan of yours. Obviously the first thing I, I'm being honest with you, the first thing that hit me was, it was an Italian guy. So, okay. But then I have all your baseball cards and all that. And then, um, uh, then when David Jordan, who connected us, uh, said yeah. that he, he knew you and all that. I said, man, I'd love to have him on the show. And I can't tell you what an honor 
uh, and a thrill it is to have you on the show. And not not the baseball. I mean, the baseball player, yeah, but more importantly, to have John D'Aquisto, the man, on the show. And, and uh, I wish you continued success. I, I appreciate that because I saw your book and I and I like your title on your book. Think from the heart. Thank you. Well, my That's mom used to my, my mom used to say never in Italian. She so always used to tell me, never speak from the neck up. Speak from the heart up. Uh, in other words, be passionate. You know, and so I, I turned that around uh, for the book. And you mentioned Clemente, and here in my home office, I have a ton of Clemente pictures. And they used to say, yeah. Joel Brown, the old general manager, said you couldn't if, yeah. you couldn't ask Roberto a question without him being passionate. Even when he ordered a cup of coffee, he was passionate about it. And, yeah. and I, <laughs> that's so true. Yeah, and, and, and I yeah. can sense everything that you've said today in the show uh, about your playing career and and uh, some different moments, and of course, you know what happened after your career and how you've come back. I, I think it's tremendous. And again, um, I, I can't say enough about you. And I, I know we just met, but I, I think the world of you even more. And um, I, I again, just uh, grateful that you were on the show and really appreciate you very much, John. Really do. Thank, thank you, Claudio. And that's why I wrote the book. You know, that story had to be told. What we talked about today had to be told. You know, there's not many times that you can see a journeyman pitcher writing a book. You know, most of the times they disappear into the, to the cracks in the wall of Major League Baseball. But, you know, I had to write this story because it was my story that a lot of people didn't hear the whole story. And it gave me a chance to put it out there. And, you know, I had to do it. I just had to do it. Well, I think, there's a, I think there's a movie involved in there somewhere. And uh, I, I hope I, so. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I have a, a friend of mine who I'll tell you a little bit more later. Uh, hopefully okay. you and I will stay in touch. I, I'd like that. Um, and oh, yeah. uh, th- there's, uh, they're working on a book. Matter of fact, he's finishing up a book. <clears throat> And uh, there's some talk about a movie. So I definitely think that, uh, you know, to get, get your story out there even more, because uh, it will definitely yeah. touch a lot of people. It certainly will. Yeah, yeah it's a good story. It's a good right. story. I don't well, think John, so myself. No, no. <laughs> well, you, you, you lived it, so you know it. So, But, John, again, I yeah. can't thank you yeah. enough. I, I appreciate it. It was fun being on or having you on, and I hope you enjoy being on as well. Oh, I did. I really enjoyed this. And I thank you so much for having me as your guest. And, you know, and maybe we can do some other things in the future. I, I would like that. And I, and I'd be remiss if I, I mentioned Vinny Paz and uh, Mario and the other Italian guy. And I had a bunch of them, but I have to mention Vince Ferragamo, the old LA Rams quarterback. Oh, uh, Vinny Ferragamo. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. He's a good so, man. He's yes, good he is. Yeah. He's a very good guy. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. I only have good people on and you, you've added to that list. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate that, Claudio. All right. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Okay, my friend. Thanks, bud. Take care. And thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that. That was was great. And, um, you know, he did that interview straight from his heart. And uh, I really appreciate John sharing those stories. Um, as always, want to thank our sponsors, Roscoe Hearing and Allergy Care Center, Don's Pizzeria and Sports Bar, Criminal Defense Attorney Eric Jackson-Lurie, um, and Dom's, I already mentioned Dom, uh, Quaker Valley Rotary. 
Again, they're hosting the 10th annual Anthony Colosimo Golf Outing on June 11th at Beaver Valley Golf Club. Call Scott Zayner at 412-720-0298. Again, my book, Lead from the Heart Up, Not the Neck Up, How to Create a Positive Winning Culture on the Field and in the Office. You can get it on my website, claudiorosano.com, amazon.com, johnmelvinpublishing.com. Uh, subscribe to the show. Thank you, Rick Mitchell. Thank you, Adam Zalouf. And as always, thank you, Mom and Pop. Talk to you guys soon. Thank you for listening to the Claudio Rosano Show brought to you by Roscoe Hearing and Allergy Care Center. Be sure to tune in next time on ClaudioRosano.com. I've been talking to my dad and he seems out of sorts, like he can't understand what I'm saying. It's not just a hearing problem, Jolie. It is a health problem. Even with a mild hearing loss, our risk of dementia doubles with age. So let's improve dad's hearing and his health. Let us be the solution to his hearing health care needs so you and dad can experience many years of understanding, laughter, and happy memories. Serving the Dubois area for over 20 years, the Roscoe Hearing Care Center in Dubois, Punxsy, and St. Mary's. The hearing solutions you've been looking for. Call us for an appointment today, 814-375-0455. The law offices of Eric Jackson Laurie are available when you need it for all of your defense needs. Maybe it's a DUI, or maybe you found yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time. Whatever the scenario, the law offices of Eric Jackson Laurie are available seven days a week. With a practice based throughout western Pennsylvania, the law offices of Eric Jackson Lurie are conveniently located in downtown Pittsburgh and Fox Chapel. When you or a loved one needs discreet, experienced legal representation, call Eric Jackson Lurie at 412-963-9308. That's 412-963-9308. We want to welcome our newest sponsor, Dom's Pizzeria and Sports Bar. 502 Cavett Avenue in Trafford, Pennsylvania. Call 412-372-3667. Don Pecora, great guy, great food. Make sure you tell him we sent you.